Recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the Chester Good Building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, Duel. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. Tonight, we're going to talk about one of the great TV movies of the 70s, Duel, which has kind of been imitated a little bit over the years, in a way, in different forms. You know, TV movies, the 70s was kind of the heyday of the TV movie. There were a lot of really good ones. True. You ask certain, you know, people of a certain age who were kids or teenagers or, you know, even adults at that time, uh, yeah, they remember them fondly. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, and it, well, a lot of most most of the really good ones are like the horror, or you know, really suspense uh, based ones. But you don't really see that nowadays because there's not there, there's too many TV networks. <laughs> there, yeah. you know, there's and streaming well, services and TV there's, networks. There's no really... such thing really as a TV movie anymore. Well, made no, for TV the, movie. The TV movie of today are Netflix originals, Amazon Prime originals, yeah. and most of the time they're series or shows. And yeah, but you know, and there's so many of them. It's it's like you know, hey, did you see that? See what? Where? What was it? Hulu? Netflix? Yeah. Where? You know. Well, yeah, back of the then, day, it was like, what, a week? Well, each, back then, there was, something? there was three major networks. Mm-hmm. But the made-for-TV movies, like I said, there were the three major networks, CBS, ABC, NBC. And, of course, then you had UHF channels. And so watching the TV movies was kind of a shared experience in the in the collective you know, society. You know, if you said, did you see Duel last night? Chances are, if you were in you know, three or four people... Couple of them would say, "Yeah, I saw it," because that's all they had to watch was to choose between those three networks, you mm-hmm. know. And if it was like a something new, a big movie or something, the chances are most people watched it. Same thing with TV shows back then. You know, everybody watched certain shows because they were on, and and that they were good too, because the networks they had to compete with each other. Nowadays, there's too much to really compete with. So they just kind of throw crap out there. It seems like, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, I don't know. There's good stuff out there too, but I don't know. It was kind of different back then. But the TV movie was kind of a phenomenon of this, you know, the '70s and I guess the early '80s and stuff that you just don't see. And there's some really good ones out there, and some spawned TV shows like Kolshak, which we've talked about before on here, which is one of the coolest TV shows ever. Or some of the other ones. Anyway, that's another Gargoyles. podcast for another time, huh? Gargoyles. Oh well, yeah. I mean, that didn't spawn a TV. Uh, oh, TV I thought show. you just met me. But no, that's one of the. Oh, that was one of my favorite TV movies. Yep, we did a podcast Man. on that one. Yeah. Hell, let's do another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, yeah, we could go on. We, you know, we could do a whole episode just on TV movies, which might be kind of cool at some point. Which means we got to watch. We got to get the rest movies. of them and watch them. Yeah, the ones we don't have. But tonight we're going to talk about Duel, which is kind of important. Yeah. Yes. What do you mean, kinda? It's very important. Well, it's very important because it's Steven Spielberg's first movie, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. that he directed. He'd done, a lot of people aren't aware of this because they know him from Jaws. It's like his, where his breakout mm-hmm. is. But uh, he had directed quite a bit of television before this, like Night Gallery and Columbo and uh, different episodes of different things. 
And he really, at the time, thought TV was kind of beneath him, and he was trying to break in the business. Mm -hmm. And then he got the job here to do Duel, which actually comes from, who wrote the original short story? Matheson. Richard Matheson, that's right, one of our favorites. He does amazing stuff. Oh, man, I Am Legend, love it. Mm -hmm. And he also wrote a lot of Twilight Zone. Yeah. In addition, you know, in addition to that and a lot of other things. but And Spielberg was a big fan of his Twilight Zone work, so he's real excited to do this story. Mm -hmm. Apparently the story came from an actual experience that uh, Matheson had with a friend of his. I think somebody else was driving oh, yeah. the car. They were coming back from somewhere and this truck was behind them on the road playing with them. Yeah. And trying to I don't know, them. was it a big truck like this or I think was it was just a, big, a regular no, truck? No, I think it was a big semi. Big night truck? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And so that kind of inspired him to write this story. Yeah. And yeah, he literally was nearly driven off the road as his yeah. whoever was driving like had to pull off and nearly wreck the car. And yeah, so. Yeah. And to take that a step further, too, when he decided to write the story and actually, you know, getting ideas done, he took a drive. Right. Drove kind of the route that he was writing about through mm -hmm. the desert in California to get in more inspiration to write the story. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. Right. Well, and to know, yeah, and to know the, the areas that he yeah, was that writing, he's writing exactly. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really kind of cool. I know that, I, you know, I've been places and you get a feel from a place, mm -hmm. you know, or a certain place you go makes you feel something, whether it's good or creepy or weird or, you know, whatever. And you start thinking things and I can see how, you know, the inspiration stuff start would start to just to flow, yeah. you know, from being there or in the midst of all this. So that's kind of cool. It is. And once he, once he wrote the story, actually it was published. The first place it was published was in Playboy. <laughs> Playboy. Yeah, as a little short, short story or novella or whatever you want to call it. And that's where I think Spielberg's secretary got the story from and presented Spielberg. And he's like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So that's how it started. But <laughs> <laughs> but the film itself is kind of, is pretty cool. It's one man against a big uh, truck, a big truck, uh, <laughs> which actually, but Matheson has used that theme a lot. One man against One something. man against the world mm -hmm. or, you know, against an evil and it, it works. People can identify that with that because people, you know, you do feel alone and, and isolated and, oh, too real right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, everybody's been there at yeah. one, some point. Mm -hmm. And so this, that core theme, I think, resonates with people. Mm -hmm. And this takes it, uh, not a step further, but brings it guy on the road in a car and everybody's driven by themselves late at night. Everybody's taking a long trip somewhere. I'm assuming everybody has, uh, you know, <laughs> by themselves at one point or another. Yeah. And so you can kind of feel that too, I think. Well, I mean, so the basic plot is, is literally just that, you know, this guy, yeah. he, he gets on the road cause he's got to go to a meeting and he's, I guess the meeting is some distance away and then he's supposed to be back home by a certain time for dinner with his wife played by, Played by Jackie Scott. Jackie Jacqueline Scott. Jacqueline Scott, who we've talked about before in Empire of the Ants and, uh, oh, got hundreds of television appearances in the 60s and the 70s. Right. And we've met a few times. A very nice lady. Right. And who plays our main character? Dennis Weaver. Yes. Dennis Weaver from Gunsmoke and McCloud and dozens of their other TV movie appearances. Right. And so he, he's, he's good at just playing, you know, the everyman guy. Yeah. And he really, he has to do this all himself. And a lot of this is done just in his expressions, his expressions, because yeah. most of the, the actual 
monologue, really. Yeah. It's not dialogue. It's monologue because it's to himself is all done in his head. You're, he's not talking to anybody. No. He's talking to himself. So his lips his aren't moving. You're just yeah. hearing his thoughts. Still among the living, I see. Well, you never know. You just never know. You just go along figuring some things don't change ever, right? Like being able to drive on a public highway without somebody trying to murder you. And then one stupid thing happens. 20, 25 minutes out of your whole life. And all the ropes that kept you hanging in there get cut loose. And it's like there you are. Right back in the jungle again. All right, boy, it was a nightmare, but it's over now. It's all over. And he's the only character, he and his wife are the only ones that have names. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. In, I didn't think the, about that. In the film, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he, um, he's on the road. He's trying to get to his place. He realizes he's behind this tractor trailer. It's a fuel truck, I guess. Yeah, it and it's just kind of going too slow and, and road hogging. So he decided he's just going to pass it. Yeah. Like you do. And, and he, he's not being a dick about no. it or anything. He just, he's passing a truck that's going too yeah. slow. When the, then the truck apparently doesn't like that it got passed, so it starts coming. So he passes him. Yeah. And it starts, you know, messing with him yep. on the road. It gets in front of him and slows down. Yeah. Then won't let him pass. And it does this cat and mouse stuff, and it gets more rough. And then one time the, the truck says, you know, the driver's arm comes out and waves him around. Mm-hmm. As he starts to go around, a car's coming. Yep. And he almost just killed the guy on purpose. Yep. And that happens... You know, stuff like that happens over and over, and there's one point where he um he's, what, up to like 100 miles an hour, and the truck's keeping up with him, and yeah, he pulls off the side of the road at this diner and wrecks into this fence, mm-hmm. and he's just completely flustered, and he gets out and goes into the diner and cleans himself up and then comes out and has a meal, and he sees- At this point, the truck has passed him. Yeah, the truck passed him and kept on going. Yeah. But by the time he gets out and sits down and orders, he looks out the window and he sees a truck parked across the street. Yeah, it's come back. And so then he starts looking suspiciously around the diner. And he just knows the driver is in in the diner. And of course, we've never seen the driver. Now, at one point, he passes the truck and you can see that there's a man in the cab. And kind of his arm, but you don't see anything. You never see him. Yeah. You don't know who he is, what he looks like. And by the end of the movie, you still don't know who he is. The only thing you see is because the truck is the the victor, the uh, villain here. Yeah. Well, at one point, before he stops at the diner, he stops and gets gas, and the truck pulls up across the pumps from him. Mm hmm. You see his boots. And you see the, the underneath the truck, you see the guy walking the length of the truck and kicking the tires, and you see cowboy boots and jeans. That's all you see. Yeah. So the whole time, you know there's a driver, and, and you know that the driver is doing this, but really, All you ever see truck. is the truck. The yeah. truck is, is, the villain is a monster, basically. Yeah, yeah. The the truck yeah. is the monster. And, the, and when um, Steven Spielberg was talking, we watched the interview after it, it's on the disc we have, and he said, I think you walked out at this part, but he said that he went to cast the part of the truck. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you hear it? Uh-huh. And I just kind of giggled at that because I was like, you know, that that's true. It's not like he just picked out a, yeah. a vehicle. He had to cast this yeah. part because he he's the main character. Yeah, a particular looking Peterbilt semi-rig that looks, because the, he said the front of it looked kind of like a face. 
yeah. with the split windshield and the big grill and mm-hmm. uh, and that's because he wanted the monster, mm-hmm. you know, to have a personality. Yeah, and and it does. I mean, it and does. they make it look rusty and dirty. Yeah. And, and he and, said every day that truck went to bake up just like yeah. you know, just like the Frankenstein's monster or the Wolfman and they would, would have. dirty it up and. It's cool because across the front bumper, it has a lot of license plates. Yes, I was going to bring that up. From different states and everything. And, and the, I noticed them during the movie. And, yeah. and it, my, my brain, I thought, why would he need a bunch of license plates? You yeah. only need one license plate. And Spielberg said the idea of that was that he, those are license plates of other cars he's ran off the road in other states. Like the truck is a serial killer. Yeah. And uh, so that was kind of a neat little touch. You know? It was really cool. Anyhow, so yeah, he continues on, uh, you know, random things happen between he and the truck and, and different things, yeah. things happen along the road. And you can, obviously, you need to watch it to see all the things. I don't yeah. want to give it all away. No, I mean, no, even we won't though give we it often all do, but. Uh, except the ending. We'll give that away. <laughs> we will. But there, it's really, really good. I mean, you'd think that one long road trip with the same types of things happening might be boring. But it's not. This is really Spielberg at his best. The, the oh yeah, the it's so tense the entire movie. In the beginning of the movie, yeah. I told Rob, I was like, "This is this is driving me crazy. This guy needs to look at the front of the or the, watch the road and stop turning around. It's making me anxious." Yeah, he looks in the rearview mirror and he looks over his shoulder a lot. Do you know how many times he does that? I do not. It must have been a lot. He looks in the rearview mirror. 65 times. <laughs> and he looks over his shoulder 54 times. It, it seemed like more. Now, because you, every time he did it, sit, I swear. If you're sitting was, around with some uh, friends, you want to watch this movie, play a drinking game. <laughs> there you go. Every time he Take a around. shot every time he looks over his shoulder. <laughs> You'll be wasted before you see the end of the movie. Oh, my gosh. But it's true. I mean, maybe other people don't get as anxious about that kind of stuff as I do. But, <laughs> but I was like, dude, you're kind of wrecked. Look to the road. Now you talk about Spielberg being at his best. You, you got to talk about the, the shots he chose. For this, oh, for there were some amazing it. ones. The, the beginning, the opening scene where it's pitch black, you hear the car engine come on and mm-hmm. then like the garage door goes up and the car pulls out. And it's, you're the car at this point. Yeah. You're the point of view of like the car's grill or the bumper. Yeah. At that height. Which is how the car started. Remember yeah. when we did That's the true, car? Yeah. And I was worried because I was like, I can't <laughs> watch a movie like this. It'll make my car But it goes count. on for a few minutes, the scene, mm-hmm. uh, throughout all the opening credits where the car pulls out of the driveway, goes down the street, goes through the city, gets out of the city, going through the desert. Nearly so get, hits a car. Nearly, nearly hits, hits a car. A pedestrian. Yeah, you know, just like you're driving, you know, not paying attention kind of thing. And so you get a sense of, okay, this is a movie about a car. Yeah. You know, about being on the road. Right. And it sets that, and it's a great point of view shot. It is. You know? And then we get into the into the car proper with Dennis Weaver, and we get to know him a little bit yeah. as he goes down the road. Yeah. Well, and there were a lot of really interesting yeah. um, now, choices and techniques and, and one whatnot the, that he did Another here, one of course. the cool ones. He, take, he does the Hitchcock shot where he goes in, when Dennis Weaver goes into that diner I was talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. And from the time he enters the diner... It's one long shot that's actually two minutes and 45 seconds, continuous camera shot with no cuts. Yeah. The well, camera I mean, follows the beginning, him. Well, but say you, you say follows. That first part of it, uh-huh. whoever's doing the camera has got to be walking backwards. Oh, yeah. So I can't even imagine how yeah. hard that was. Well, the camera moves with him, let's say that. Yeah. For two minutes and 45 seconds from 
entering the diner, going around the diner, going down the hall, Twist around the turns. corner, into the bathroom so he can splash water on his face, dry his hands, talk to himself a little bit, mm-hmm. back out of the bathroom, down the hall, around the corner, back into the diner mm-hmm. until he sits down at a table. One continuous uncut shot. Yeah. And this is before the invention of the Steadicam. Yep. So that was a... A cameraman with balance and nerves of steel. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really, really good shot. Oh, it's a great shot. And Dennis Weaver, you know, he's in the camera the whole time, his Mm -hmm. face pretty much. Mm -hmm. I got to hand it to him. He's he's acting, like you said, the movie is him pretty much the whole movie. Yeah. His his face sells it. It is. And he's not even talking. You're just hearing the Mm -hmm. monologue in his head. So you'd think that you would really get bored with that. there's not a lot of that either. There isn't. But you would think exactly yeah. that you would be bored with that, cause, yeah. but you're not. But he, at no point do you think I'm really just tired of looking at this guy. <laughs> but he sells he sells it as the average average guy, mm-hmm. and who's just uh, kind of doing his job, going through life, and this outrageous shit just starts to happen to him. Yeah, and the way he deals with it. And I had my only problem was a. It frazzles him, and then he gets pissed off. Then he doesn't stay pissed off. Yeah, then he gets frazzled then he gets, again. Then he gets, it frazzles him again, and I don't care if he gets pissed off again. He it does comes go and back go, and It comes and lot. goes a bit for me. It should have got to a point, and then like, I'm done. I'm yeah. taking care of business. Well, you know, I wonder, I wonder if maybe that's not kind of how it would be. I mean, I've never been in that situation. Well, okay, I've kind of been in that situation, actually. yeah. But not for an extended period. Yeah, and it could be, it could do that. <laughs> but that didn't, I mean, it didn't take me out of it or anything. Yeah. It didn't bother, if if I had to pick one thing, mm-hmm. that's it, that yeah. bothers me. But it doesn't bother me en- enough to, to bother me. Right. There are some great scenes of him. One of the coolest ones is where he, he gets ahead of the truck and he pulls off the road and backs up around this bend by this mm-hmm. railroad track. So the truck passes him by and doesn't see him. Mm-hmm. So he's sitting there by the railroad track and he's, he has a little monologue and then he's just like, okay, the truck passes him by and he kind of snoozes for a mm-hmm. little bit. He's just exhausted. Yep. And then you hear the, like the engine of the truck coming right? and the roar of the truck and it gets real loud. And by the time he realizes he hears it and wakes up, he, he like covers himself over the steering wheel and the the noise kind of morphs and changes into the train engine and the train goes by him mm-hmm. and he kind of looks up and sees this a train and he leans back and like catches a breath and starts laughing. Right. That he's like, Oh, I'm alive. I'm safe. Oh God. You know, yeah. man, I can't believe that. You know? Yeah. And he, uh, relaxes a little bit and okay, the truck's gone. So he, then he takes off and gets down the road. And of course, down the road, the truck's waiting for him. He runs into the truck again. Yeah. Yeah, the truck just realized he went down the road and he didn't find him, so he just pulled off the road and stopped and waited yeah. for him. He's like, oh, he must have stopped somewhere. There's a lots of good scenes, character scenes with him like mm-hmm. that. Oh, one of the stunt scenes. Apparently, go talk about the stunts real quick. There was a stunt man was a trunk, the truck driver, of course. Right. And Dennis Weaver drove his car. Mm-hmm. Mo- most of the driving apparently was Dennis Weaver. Right. Except some of the, like where he slams into the gate and stuff like that. That yeah. that was a, a stunt driver. Mm-hmm. But he did most of his driving himself. And then there's a scene where he's in the telephone booth. Oh, yeah. At that snake, uh, that roadside attraction. Snake-a-rama. snake And he's got his back to the road, which is dumb. 
and you hear the truck coming. Mm-hmm. He's trying to call the police, tell them what's going on. And he looks and sees the truck, and the last minute he jumps out of the telephone booth, and the truck smashes the telephone booth. Yeah. And that scene looks so good. Yeah. It the look truck tight. looks like it is right on top of the booth before he jumps yeah. out. And that was actually Dennis Weaver doing that. That yeah. wasn't a stuntman. But the way they did it to make it safe, mm-hmm. they had little flags, and you can't see it in the shot, you know, markers on the road. Mm-hmm. And the last one was a point of no return to where the truck driver, the stuntman, if Dennis Weaver was not out of the booth by the time he hit that mark, he he would veer off. Right. Because he couldn't stop or veer off after that. Mm-hmm. And they did it all in one take. Yeah. And apparently he was going relatively slow. Yeah. But it does not look slow. And I don't think they sped it up. I think it's just the angle and Yeah. The what way he was saying, shot. one of the interviews I was saying is depending on the the camera angle mm-hmm. and the lens you use and the lens you use the you know you can only be driving 30 miles an hour mm-hmm. and it looks like you're going really fast and especially if you do a dead on shot of the vehicle mm-hmm. and there's a wall beside them or a cliff or something it looks like they're going really fast then. yeah so they did a lot of that yeah to make it look like they were going faster there's some really cool yeah. Cool filming in here oh and and speaking of you know that snake snake arama yeah the lady oh god what's her name louise actress something anyway you've seen her in everything in the 70s and in the 80s she was in tons of movies and tv shows and but spielberg apparently likes to use the same people over yeah, and over again he said or, he has a thing for nostalgia yeah and you to know, remember tri- where it comes yeah, from yeah and a little tribute and to people that he's worked with and stuff so she turns up again playing pretty much the same character the it same, was the same same exact scene oh yeah 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 in uh 1941 yeah where while Bill Kelso, Belushi, he lands his plane, he says, fill her up. And she's like, where? <laughs> and he stops at her place to get the gas station, uh, Snake-O-Rama, to fill up his airplane. Yeah. And there's another scene where, in the movie here, where Dennis Weaver flags down this car, this beautiful old car, and this old couple, and he's trying to ask him if they can go make a phone call for him or give him a ride down the road, and they don't want to get involved. And uh, Spielberg used that same couple again in Close Encounters. Yeah. And gave him some FaceTime. So that was kind of cool. It is cool. Another thing cool about this movie is the entire thing is shot on location. Mm-hmm. Which, how could it not be? I mean, some it's a movie about a car driving through the desert and his truck chasing him. There well, was, I mean, they could have they could have forced him to do all of the scenes that are in the car itself in on a set. Oh yeah, and, it and some of the studios. Some of studio executives wanted to do that to yeah. save money and all, but in Spielberg himself, and I totally agree, said it would look like it was done. It would look cheap yeah. and like it was done on a set, and it wouldn't match up. Yeah, and it just would. It would just bring the quality, the whole quality of the film down. And I completely agree. the The story, it has to be moving the whole time. Yeah, and it has to be out on the road for it, it to look real yeah. and for you to feel it. Yeah. And it it does. It looks great. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot the the one scene where he's in the phone booth. Mm-hmm. That's where. Uh, oh you yeah. Get the little cameo. The by Spielberg accident. cameo. <laughs> <laughs> if you look, you know, I knew it was coming, but I was caught up in the story, so I wasn't paying attention. And I didn't. And know I didn't it was coming. And I didn't see it. I did see it. I yeah. didn't know it was coming. But I didn't know anything about it. When he's in the phone booth trying to call the police before the truck comes, 
for a, a couple seconds there, you see the reflection of Steven Spielberg standing. Yeah, out of I, I couldn't make out who it was, but I was like, "Who is that in the phone booth in the the reflection?" Robbie's yeah. like, "Oh, that's Spielberg." I was like, and "Oh." Apparently, in the in the theatrical cut, which I'll talk about in a second, when they expanded the frame a little bit, you can see a little bit of Spielberg in the back seat of the car. Yeah, he said there were a lot of scenes where he was riding in the back seat to you know help with the coach with coaching the, yeah, and, direct. and directing. And that's another thing, too. This was a TV movie. It was filmed for television. And TV movie, it was 74 minutes long. Mm-hmm. But after it came out on TV, the studio wanted to release it in Europe as a theatrical film. Mm-hmm. But it had to be longer than 74 minutes to be a theatrical release. It had to be 90 minutes. So Spielberg, they got him to go back and film some extra scenes to pad out the film. And the extra scenes are pretty much seamless, Except yeah. one, if you know what you're looking for. Right. Uh, but the whole opening of the car pulling out of the driveway and, and the car point of view, that was filmed for the theatrical cut. The scene where he's talking to his wife on the phone was filmed for the, was added in. So Jackie got a job for that. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> so Jackie Scott wasn't in the TV movie at all. Yeah. And then the um, scene where he pulls up to the railroad crossing, which we didn't talk about yet. There's a scene where he pulls up to a railroad crossing. He's way ahead of the truck and he's waiting, waiting, waiting. And then the truck catches up to him. And tries to push him into the oncoming train. Mm-hmm. And that was added in. And that's a different truck. And if you look, you can see, they don't show you a lot of the truck. You're seeing it more from, like, the camera is at the driver's side window looking back. So you see most of his car mm-hmm. and a little bit of the truck. But you can see the truck's not quite as dirty yeah. as it was. And the reason it's a different truck is because, okay, spoilers. <laughs> the end of the movie, the truck goes off a cliff. Right. They only had one truck. Yeah, they only had one truck. So, And they did that in one take because they couldn't do another take Yeah, where the truck goes off a cliff. So when they go had to come back and add this extra footage, they had to get a different truck. So it was pretty much the same. I think it was the same model truck. It yeah. was just they had to, they didn't match it up exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's other, if you didn't know. If you don't, I mean, I, I was looking noticed. going, truck looks a little cleaner. But mm. it didn't like take me out because the intensity of the scene again. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that the ending scene, since you brought it up, that was really cool. Yeah, that was shot well. Yeah. I think they used six cameras to catch it. They did, but I don't know if you heard this. Uh-huh. Spielberg said they set up six cameras to catch it, Yeah, but they ended up putting one continuous shot from one camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. only used one of them. Because it was such a great shot yeah. of the truck falling. He said, he said, I don't know who was running that camera, but they deserve a medal. You'd think <laughs> he would have figured out who it was. Well, it's a great shot. It is a the really The truck goes shot. over the cliff, and it goes down, and when it hits, and it's pushing his car. It hits his car. He jumps out and lets, it, lets his car get totaled. Right. And it goes over the cliff, and the car catches on fire, but the truck doesn't, and it hits part of the cliff and it, you know clouds of dirt and smoke come up and then the truck almost disappears and then part of it flips back out of the smoke mm-hmm. like a last dying breath kind of thing and it lands again yeah and there's no explosion no which was on purpose the studio wanted a big explosion for a spectacular effect Spielberg said no you know he said he wanted the the whole idea of it was that the truck was the villain was a monster Right. Coming after the guy. And monsters don't blow up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they die. 
Yeah. And that was the truck was dying yeah. at the end, it which was, was slow, painful death, a slow, painful death, more satisfying to the guy it was chasing. Yeah. Know? And if you listen, it roars. You oh, can yeah. You hear like this death roar as it goes over the cliff, the twisting metal and all that sound. And then there's a dinosaur type roar yeah. mixed in there. Which Spielberg used again, the yep. same exact sound, the same exact roar he used in Jaws when the shark uh, gets shot. Yep. And, okay, maybe monsters do blow up. <laughs> uh, but they have to get shot in an air tank that's in their mouth. Anyway, and, and it's almost the same shot when it's all these bubbles and blood in the water. Mm-hmm. And all you see is that. And then you see one of the shark fins come out of it as it's falling. <laughs> maybe he Just did that like on purpose. The truck. Yeah. That's and it awesome. shows it in the extras on this DVD. They show those scenes side by side, and it's amazing. Yeah. And the roar is about at the same place, too. So cool. Yeah, so that was really kind of cool. I Also, I read somewhere Spielberg says that he, um, he watches Duel about twice a year huh. just to remind himself where he came from. Now, another thing in this that isn't really put in your face, but if you kind of think about it, is the kind of the theme of, of lost masculinity or emasculating the, the lead character in this. Mm-hmm. He's going out, he's doing his job, he's kind of tired, he's got to get it done. Mm-hmm. And then the truck messes with him, keeps cutting him off and keeps trying to intimidate him. Then he stops and calls his wife and apologizes for last night and she starts giving him a rational shit about, well, you should have said something, blah, blah, blah. Apparently they were at a get-together, a party. You don't really get the whole story. Yeah. And a friend of theirs was getting fresh with her and he just didn't say anything to make a big deal about it. And she's still getting in his case. Yeah. And then getting a hard I mean, time about it. You get the impression that she must have handled it just fine. But the but yeah. he didn't like make a big deal yeah. of it. And then she gives him a ration of shit about, well, you're going to be home on time for dinner, right? He says, well, I'm going to try to. I don't know. You know. And by the end, he says, yes, I'll be home for dinner. Mm-hmm. And then there's a scene in the diner where he confronts a guy that he thinks is the truck driver. And he's at this point, he's just totally on edge, frazzled. Yeah. And then they get in a tussle and the guy, you know, hits him a few times and kind of beats the crap out of him, knocks him down and in front of all these people. So, yeah. And th- and the truck constantly coming after him and yeah. overtaking him. Well, in the very first bit in the car, you're listening to that radio. And, and yeah. And that first part show. in the car. Yeah. There, it's a prank call. It's obviously. a prank call from a DJ, but he's listening. He's listening to this and the DJ is talking about how his wife is the head of the household and it makes him feel. Talking to the Census Bureau. Yeah. And uh, it's a comedy bit, but it's about a guy being emasculated. Yeah. Another thing, too, and to drive the point home is the character's name. Mm-hmm. David Mann. Right. With two N's. <laughs> He's a man. And he drives a Valiant. A Plymouth, <laughs> Plymouth Valiant. Which that was just a coincidence. Yeah. Another thing that, Pardon well, his me. name, David. Mm-hmm. And the big like truck, David and Goliath, David and Goliath, the yeah. big truck coming after the little little guy. You mm-hmm. know, that's another thing. It's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, the little guy wins over the big monster. Yeah. Oh, oh! Before I, I say that, one thing, talking about it being on location, the cafe that he stops at, I found out it was called Chuck's Cafe. Mm-hmm. That building is still there. I think it's in Santa Clarita, California, Santa Clara, Santa Clarita. I think on the highway. It's not Chuck's Cafe anymore. It's a, it's since the 80s it's been a French restaurant. Hmm. But it's still there, you know, if you're location 
poor like I am, when <laughs> I like to see the locations. It's still there. The tunnel that they go through in the mountain, that mm-hmm. of course, <laughs> of course, that's still there. Yeah. And I think that railroad crossing is still functional. That he stops. Do you at. know it's what what part of the or what str- what road that is? What highway or? Uh, I do not. I'd have to look that up. Yeah. But it'd be, it'd be easy to find. Just yeah, to I'm sure. Dual locations, you know. Yep. Well, I got the impression that it was it was really just one strip of road. But I could be wrong. And the reason I'm thinking that is because Spielberg talked about yeah. in his hotel room. They mapped out, they mapped out the, the entire... whole thing. It was like one giant map that went around the whole, like wallpapered his room. Yeah, instead of storyboard, they had a map following the location and he would make notes of what's going to happen at these locations and how they were going to shoot it yeah. on this map. Yeah, so when he had to film scenes out of order... He'd know where he'd they were. He'd know exactly yeah. where they Which were in the chronology. Brilliant. Yeah, Especially, I mean, for this type of film. Yeah, know. yeah. It was, it was really, really good. Yeah. It's very cool. The music in this movie is not really music. It's more like just sounds and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 The um, score. It's, yeah. It's yeah. the score. And it it's really good. I think it works really well. But one thing I wanted to make sure we pointed out uh-huh. was the horn honking. Yeah. From the, the big truck from the monster. Uh-huh. Because it's definitely very unique. Well, I mean, not super unique. Yeah. You hear it in other things, but or you hear horn honking. Yeah. But Jeepers Creepers oh, yeah. took a lot from this. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that earlier. Yeah. If if you've seen the first Jeepers Creepers and with the big truck and the way it comes after those kids and the horn, uh, yeah, they saw Duel. Yeah, they had to. <laughs> they had to because it comes right from here. Yeah. I do believe that this is, I don't know if it's on YouTube or anything. I haven't checked, but it's easily accessible. I mean, we got the, I got the DVD, I don't know, a year ago, six months ago. I don't remember. So I'm pretty sure it's still available on Amazon, relatively cheap. Well worth it. I mean, I this is one of those movies I had heard about, like Killdozer. Yeah. You know, TV movies I heard about my whole life. Might have seen it. Nah, well, I don't know. Now I wouldn't have seen Duel. It came out in seventy one. Well, I could have seen it. I don't know. I wouldn't have been about a year old. Two, <laughs> two, no, I would have been two years old. But it's one of the, you know I've heard about it forever and just never got a chance to see. And finally. Got a chance to see. And it's from that era of film that I love the 70s, you know. Mm-hmm. So many good films come out of that late 60s, you know, 70s era. And this is definitely one of them, you know, and well worth watching. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this one's worth watching for a whole lot of reasons. Not just because of the, the nature of it being made for TV movie and it's one of those things you just kind of have to see. Yeah. It's Spielberg. And yeah, if for you're that st- reason alone, you really should watch yeah, it. Yeah, if you're a Spielberg fan at all. Even if you're not a Spielberg and, yeah, fan. And I mean, just a fan of film. Yeah, a fan of film. You, you need to watch yeah. this. It's really good. It's it's a great to see, because he was in his early 20s when he made this. Yeah, 22, I think 22, he said. 22-year-old director. And I'm not putting down everybody, but a, and this is a generalization, but 22-year-olds in, in 71 are a lot different than 22-year-olds today in in. in and society is shaped well, it's just too. Society is different. Is different, but in maturity, but that and happens every generation. Yeah. But a twenty-two-year-old kid made this movie. Yeah, unbelievable. There's yeah. seasoned filmmakers who couldn't make a movie this good. 
Yeah. And but it's, it's just good. amazing. I mean, you, you can you can really see Spielberg in this film. And oh, yeah. as this is his first movie, it's odd that, well, yes, his style has changed. Things are different. You can see it. You can still yeah. feel where he came from. Well, and it's also cool to to see, you know, a young filmmaker, his first mm-hmm. effort. And then you look at some of his later efforts and see how he's evolved. Yeah, how and things then, have gotten better. And then, but how some of the things he's, ideas and things he stayed with and kept yeah. has worked. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a study. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, one thing I was going to mention earlier, just a, a point of interest i uh-huh. thought we were talking about the different camera angles and styles yeah. and stuff they used the same camera car that was created oh, yeah. for bullet, bullet with steve mcqueen yeah mm-hmm. that low the ca- low angle camera on the yeah. car i think this was the second time it was used and it works Perfect it makes, makes everything like it's going so much faster yeah like we were talking about with the angle and all mm-hmm. and this particular setup on this car which is perfect for that tailor-made almost yeah We've had lots of like facts and stuff in this one for some reason. I guess because we got carried away watching the documentary stuff on the uh, the uh, extras, but it was yeah. really interesting. That the whole movie was just really good, and the information about it was yeah. quite interesting. Well, like I say, it's one of those films where it, it it has a feel. It has a feel through the whole movie, and you feel it with the character. Yeah, you feel the the, and I hate using this so the journey, but you do feel that. You yeah. know, you, you feel the whole thing with him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think because, like I said at the beginning, about how the familiarity of what's going on mm-hmm. is so common and resonates easily with anybody. Yeah. I um, think I talked to the screen more in this one than I had in the one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I think you said, stop looking over your shoulder. <laughs> Watch the road. <laughs> Quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you do. You'll say that. <laughs> you know, and like I said, if you play the drinking game, every time it looks over your shoulder, yeah, you can be wasted pretty quick. It was fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely stressful. <laughs> fun. Yeah, and the whole thing takes place in a day. Yeah, less than less than ten hours at least. Yeah, because he go leaves in the morning. Yeah, and he's it, you know it's and it, done by sunset. <laughs> yeah, done before dinner time. Yeah, and it's moves. It, it doesn't slow down. It you're never bored. No. You know, it moves along at a pretty good pace the whole movie. Again, two thumbs up. Highly recommended. Yep. Do absolutely. yourself a favor and check this out if you haven't seen it. And if it's been a while, watch, watch, watch it, it again. again. Let us know what you think. With that being said, yeah, let us, like she said, let us know what you think. Drop us a line on the Facebook page. The Phantasmo After Dark email at phantasmoad at gmail.com. One word, phantasmode. And the Facebook page, I will put up the trailer and as many pictures and interesting shots as I can find. Indeed. So take a look, won't you? All right, I guess there's one thing left to do. We got to play the Planet of the Apes game. Clayton and I discovered many, many years ago that the world revolves around Planet of the Apes. We discovered this long before the Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon game because the world does not revolve around Kevin Bacon. It revolves around Planet of the Apes. So <laughs> just about every episode of the podcast here, Phyllis will throw something at me from the movie we're talking about, and I will connect it back to Planet of the Apes to prove this point. So, Okay, so let's go with Dennis Weaver. Okay, Dennis Weaver. Because I think we've done Jackie Scott before. 
Probably. Okay. Dennis Weaver? Mm-hmm. It's too easy, isn't it? <laughs> Was in touch of evil with Charlton Heston playing the apes. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just not fair. You want, a, you want a twofer? You want a bonus? You want to do Jackie Scott? Sure, do Jackie too. Yeah, she played an ape on the TV show Planet Apes. <laughs> do Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steven Spielberg. Oh, geez. Um, Steven Spielberg. Any number of things. Jeez, Christ. He Pick did, one. Um, God, I could draw from 1941, the entire cast of 1941. Who the hell was in that? Everybody. I'm seeing if there's a more of a direct connection. Spielberg. Okay. Spielberg, one of his first theatrical films, The Sugarland Express, mm-hmm. with Goldie Hawn. Mm-hmm. Goldie Hawn was in the movie Overboard, Kurt Russell. Right. Roddy McDowell played her butler. Apes. Oh, <laughs> okay. Thank well, there you go. go. There's so, a threefer for you. Everybody <laughs> is uh, related to Planet of the Apes here. So the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes. So true. So true. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about it. That'll do it. Are we done? Yep. All right. Well, till next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.